Good morning. Wow. I was going to preach from the floor, but um, I wanted you all to see me. And, uh, but now I kind of feel like Mufasa from The Lion King. And I'm like, all this shall be yours. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I'm here. We're doing it. So it's really a, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, and I want to apologize because I'm a little bit sick. Um, I'm calling it the plague. Um, so I'm, I'm trying not to cough on everything. And I also, um, I want to say thank you to Reverend Adam for, I know he's not here, but I wanted to thank him anyway uh, for giving me the opportunity to preach. And to Mike Monono, who is also not here because he has the plague, um, <laughs> for in extending the invitation. And to the worship committee and to everyone involved in making the service a success today. Um, and I also wanted to say a special thank you to you, the congregation for being open and willing to listen to someone totally new come and speak. I'm really, I'm honored to be here with you today. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Every once in a while, when I'm poking around on Facebook, I see someone post a screenshot of a headline that says, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. It's true, it's real. <laughs> uh, people usually post it as a slightly humorous and snarky response to something that's happened in politics or about something they feel is like an important human rights issue um, that, they think, that they think should be common sense for everyone. And I originally thought it was a parody article from the satire news site The Onion, but it's actually an op-ed piece from Huffington Post about how our collective responsibility towards one another is a moral issue. It's the idea that each of us should want other people in our society to thrive simply because each person's life has inherent value. And when one person succeeds, we all succeed. And I think this is an extremely countercultural way of being because American society prides itself on being individualistic. Our culture is created and functions to want people to succeed on their own through their own resources and time and effort. And I don't want to generalize too much about this attitude of individuality because I think that at its best, individuality means that we are our own people and we are able to exist as ourselves in this world. But at its worst, and when it's taken to an extreme, this attitude of thinking only about ourselves becomes cutthroat and extends into our schools our workplaces, and can go even further into our family life, our friendships, and our relationships. And I think sometimes um, the reason it feels difficult to see others succeed instead of us is because American culture places a value um, in competing with others and also in competing with ourselves. And it can be super easy to never question these views, right? When it's the dominant narrative it's just something that exists everywhere. And when we are surrounded by like-minded people um, who have also been formed in the same culture, it's almost impossible to see our own cultural values be reflected back at us because there's nothing different to compare it to. And I also think that sometimes it can feel impossible to challenge or even to identify these norms because we're also told in so many ways, it's just the way things are, and this is the way things always have been done. And it's easier to let it lie than to begin to fight an entire culture war. It can feel like an uphill battle, this idea 
of, cha of changing something that is deeply embedded in our culture? Well, friends, I like a challenge. <laughs> what can I say? Especially when it involves the process of challenging a cultural norm. It's my favorite thing to do. I don't think that it's an impossible thing. This idea that we can learn how to be more collectively responsible for one another. And one of the primary ways uh, this has shown up in my own life is through friendships with people from different cultural contexts. This past year, I've been fortunate to have individual friendships that have formed between me and several of my classmates who are international students from Korea. I like to think that there has been a learning curve for all of us involved in this friendship. And from my perspective, a big part of it has been seeing how each of our respective cultural values have been reflected back at us simply because we're no longer in a vacuum of similarity. And this is something that happens totally naturally through friendships um, and relationships with different types of people. Because as the relationship develops and more things about each person or culture group are discovered, differences begin to manifest themselves. Through my own friendship with some of my Korean friends, I've learned that I am super, super American. I know, it's shocking, right? I think it makes total sense that I would feel this way because I'm now able to see particularities about my American culture from the perspective of someone from a totally different cultural context. Through our friendship, I've been able to see some of the funnier things about American culture that I never would have considered before. Like, why do we use air quotes so much? This is apparently something that doesn't really exist in some other cultures. Another thing that was pointed out uh, was that Americans go to Starbucks a lot. And I can confirm, I literally have Starbucks up here with me right now. <laughs> I've had conversations about how American humor and Korean humor are different. Um, my comfort zone has been challenged by the act of eating communally, where everyone uh, brings different dishes and sharing is encouraged. And most importantly, my chopstick game has gotten much, much better. It's still a work in progress, but I'm getting there. And as our friendship has developed, I've been able to see firsthand not only the incredible personal and professional growth of my friends, but also have been reminded that um, of the specific set of challenges that international students face when they come to a new country and to a new degree program. Many of my friends feel discouraged, that they can't express themselves as well as they want to in English. I've been told that speaking in class is one of the most difficult experiences, and I've had friends who will write out what they're going to say ahead of time. It's easy to feel lost in conversation or not understand all of the cultural references, but simultaneously being afraid to ask people to repeat themselves or to explain what something means. Reading assignments and paper writing takes double the time than an American student, if not more. Even if the reading materials can be found in Korean, sometimes the content is still really difficult to understand. There are concerns about how to find an apartment, but where and how to find a job that will accept both international students and be patient with English language learners, and about how they will see a doctor if they get sick, because the immense cost of health insurance in the states means that a lot of students can't afford the health plan that the school offers, or that even if they do have insurance from their home country, it's difficult to find a doctor or a hospital here that will accept it. 
By bearing witness to the experiences of my friends, I'm constantly reminded that there are parallel sets of realities happening at the same time. The way I am experiencing my culture at any given time is not the way my friends are experiencing it. Through the development of our friendship and relationship with each other, I have learned how to be more accountable for the parts of my culture and reality that I previously took for granted. Because maintaining relationships with people whom I love so much and who are important to me means that their struggles are my struggles too. Through our friendship, I have learned that being collectively responsible for one another means loving people in particular. Ah, friends, we have arrived at the title of the sermon. What does it mean, they cried as she took a break to drink her tea. Um, <laughs> I will tell you. The quote, love people in particular, comes from a podcast that I really love called Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. In a conversation with one of her guests, Kate says, I'm a big believer that you can't love people in general. You need to love them in particular. So what does that mean? Okay, I think we've all experienced maybe how different it feels when someone has shown up for us in a difficult time and has been fully emotionally present with us instead of only partially present, yeah? Maybe, does that feeling resonate with some people? I know I can tell almost immediately when someone I talk to would rather be somewhere else. And on the opposite side, I know how wonderful it feels when a friend or a conversation partner decides to commit themselves to our conversation and our time together. I feel like I am being listened to. I feel like what I have to say has value. When a friend is fully present, the things that we talk about in conversation are treated with care and individual attention. If I choose to share something vulnerable, a person who is fully present gives me space and gentleness for what I have to say. The particularities of my individual story are given love and attention. Being present with people in their struggles is the exact same idea. To love people in particular means that people who are privileged accept the realities of someone's life as our own, even if it's not our own lived experience. And it also means that we need to give people's stories the weight and the value that they deserve. To love in particular is cultivating the ability to sit in the particularities of people's experiences even when it's painful for us to hear them. To have privilege in society means that the privileged have the option to opt out of people's pain. We can turn off the news, we can give sympathetic nods to people's stories without taking any action, and we can choose to ignore the realities of the people around us because it feels easy. By ignoring the realities of those who are suffering and selectively choosing when and how we want to care and pay attention, we end up becoming tourists in the lives of people of color and people who are struggling in our society. This is an aspect of the idea of American individualism that I find unacceptable. We can't opt out of people's lived experiences. And even further, we can't just waltz in and out of people's experiences with racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, fatphobia, you name it, when we feel like it. 
To love, in particular, involves cultivating a specific skill. The ability to learn how to sit with people in their pain and suffering. And in doing so, we create a counter-cultural narrative that says that bearing witness to difficulty is what it means to be communally responsible for one another. Being able to sit with people in their pain because we believe they and their stories have inherent value is what I consider to be the opposite of a cutthroat and extreme type of individualism. Does it feel difficult? Yeah. Because to change anything means we first have to name difficulty, and naming it means accepting the fact the pain that others face is real. And the act of being and recognizing pain is also in total juxtaposition to the other aspects of American culture which say that we need to produce and contribute and make constantly so that when we do it, it feels like, what we, it feels like we are doing nothing and not being productive, when in fact, creating change that is lasting and benefits people of color and those who have been marginalized means first actually listening to the people who have been hurt by society. Now, I want to be very clear that I am not saying that we never need to take action against oppression and injustice. I think, yes, absolutely we do. What I hope I'm conveying is the idea that to create change that is dynamic and change that is really, truly based in collective well-being and the inherent value of all people is based on the ability to hear, listen, and most importantly, to acknowledge the particularities of the people who have been harmed because of the way our society is structured. It's a big task, but it's not impossible. Change happens through one intentional relationship at a time, where we make the effort to be present and to immerse ourselves fully in the experiences of people who are marginalized. As we are in Black History Month, that means continuing um, to educate ourselves, not just in this month, but all the time, about the particular, particular difficulties that our black siblings face in a society that is inherently racist. It means that one part of the journey to dismantle white privilege is owning up to and taking responsibility for the pain that has been caused by Jim Crow, the slave trade, mass incarceration, and police brutality. It also means that when a black person shares a difficulty that is specific to them because of their race, that we hear them and sit in the pain instead of minimizing what's going on. And the action of truly hearing and acknowledging and then working to create change rooted in collective responsibility and inherent value of all people is what actively creates a countercultural narrative. Our struggles belong to one another, and we can work to hold them with care. Opting out is no longer an option. Thank you all so much for listening.